Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. Ken also has owned his own construction company for over 30 years. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is here each weekend at this time dealing with the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. If you'd like to join our program, you can. You can dial 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. I'm Jim Britta. Before we get going this week, we'd like to welcome those of you who are possibly listening to our program for the first time on WIZM, 1410 AM, La News Station in La Crosse, Wisconsin. We look forward to hearing from you in the weeks ahead right here with Ken the Contractor. Over the last number of weeks, we've had so many emails and phone calls regarding various types of basement issues. It's rather odd. I happened to be reading an article just a few days ago from the Indianapolis Recorder newspaper, and they were also in this particular article dealing with basement issues in their locality. The bottom line here is that I want to address one more time, I hope, some things that will point you in the right direction to solving some of these basement problems. We've had those of you call us that have water coming up between expansion joints and the slab in your wall, water coming through the wall, water coming in around pipes in the wall, water coming in through mortar joints. Some of you saying it's waterproof, it's not waterproof, we don't have footing drains, we do. What I want to do is talk to you about the proper way to solve a problem. And there are a lot of ways to patch and to cosmetically repair something so that it makes you feel good in your mind as long as the sun's shining. But the next time you have a heavy rain or you have snow melt, you're going to say, I didn't fix it. All I did was waste my time and money. And that's what I don't want you to do. I want you to think seriously about a proper fix. Now, before I go much further, I'm going to tell you for a lot of you that a proper fix, something that is long-term, something that is permanent, something you don't have to worry about in the future, and something that you won't have to mess with when it comes time to sell the home, is likely to set you back a few dollars depending on the nature of your problem. In some cases, it can be as minor and as simple as opening up a foundation drain that has silted in or clogged over the years, maybe one you didn't even know was there. It's been closed so long. And these extremely heavy rains or snow melts causing water to back up and come through the basement floor or come in through those walls. So it can be fairly inexpensive. But for those of you that are saying, I know I've got a foundation drain, I know it's open, I've got visible cracks in my wall, whether it's a poured concrete wall or whether it's a block wall and the mortar joints are cracked. I just have water coming through. It's going to be more serious to resolve this in a proper fashion. So let's talk for a minute about some of the options. First, you know, you you have waterproofing doesn't necessarily mean that all the water stays out of the basement. There's a combination of things that needs to take place. And if you have a substantial amount of your first floor, your basement below grade, you need to have not only the vertical surface waterproofed, but to do it according to the the International Building Code as well, you also need to have foundation drain. And that space between the wall and perhaps at least the first foot to two feet of soil needs to be backfilled with stone. Now, what you're doing is you're creating a relief for the water pressure, the hydrostatic pressure that has a tendency to build up from the soil 
and work its way into or force its way under a lot of pressure into these small cracks and joints in your foundation walls. And as waterproofing ages, especially the older waterproofing that in many cases was no more than a tar coating put on the wall, that tends to break down. It becomes brittle. It will wear out over time. And now you've got these small areas where water under pressure is working its way laterally into that wall space. And if there's enough water building up around your house, you're going to find that it will actually come up under the floor. It'll come up through the saw cut joints or the expansion joints, what's called a cold joint in that slab, where it abuts your walls. And many of you are sitting there shaking your head right now in the affirmative. You've been through this saying, how can this be? You have to relieve the water pressure. And that's the second part of proper basement waterproofing. It's not only the waterproofing of the vertical surface, it's also putting a drain pipe at a level that's below that floor. Usually it's beside or on top of the foundation so that water that runs through the soil horizontally finds this weakened plane, this area you've backfilled with soil. It has to fall to the bottom. It's going to go down to the drain pipe. That drain pipe's going to take it to daylight somewhere away from the house. And if you're saying, that's great, I have a basement that's covered four sides and I don't have any way on my property to run it to daylight, meaning you have enough slope uh, that you can do that, then you're going to have to look at a sump somewhere outside the house with a pump in that to pick that water up and to get it up to grade and let it run off. There are solutions for this. There's absolutely no reason that any of you need to be dealing with the mold and mildew, with the damaged furniture, with the damaged flooring, with tile being released, all of the issues that come about because we continue to live with or deal with wet basements. Now, I want to go on to also tell you for just a moment that when you're looking at waterproofing, if you're going to be do so, doing something as extensive as what I've just described, I highly recommend you look at some of the membrane waterproofing products that are there today. There's one that's a national product that I particularly like and use. It's called Rubber Wall. It's sprayed on, but once it cures, over a few hours, it sets up like a solid sheet of rubber, and it expands and it contracts as your foundation and your, your basement wall moves. It covers cracks that may be in the existing walls, small holes that may be there. It doesn't involve a bunch of masonry work and prep work like a lot of the coatings do. There are other fine products that are out there that come in sheet form that can be applied a little more user-friendly by a homeowner if you're doing this yourself or you're in the process of building a new house. So those are things I want you to think about. Whatever you do, investigate the products that are right for your area because, again, not every product is going to be suited for every part of our listing area considering that we're across the country. So there are some of you that will need to spend a few dollars, and there are others that are saying, I just need to unclog that footing drain. Whatever you do, pay some attention to it because it can cause structural damage, and if you have structural damage, folks, now you're into really big dollars. And the other thing is, there's a lot of these products and companies out there now. There used to be a handful, but they seemingly have exploded in the last couple of years. I think they have because of the damage we're seeing in basement areas. Insurance companies are prompting people to take action where in the years they have not. They're not going to cover you five and six times for the same type of claim. If you've got an issue, they want it fixed. They want it taken care of. Yeah, and as you talked about, there seems to be products you can spray on, apply yourself. A company can come in and do it. And then, as you mentioned, the ones where they come in and actually do some excavation work around the foundation and try to rectify the problem, that's where you get into the big money, isn't it? That's where you get into the big dollars. It depends on whether you've got concrete adjacent to the house, a driveway, what your landscaping is like. But there's no substitute for doing proper waterproofing and installing some type of a relief drain below that floor, that's going to take care of your issues permanently. Yeah, and that's the thing you're looking for. 
It's a one-time fix. You don't mess with it in the future. It's not a constant problem. And when he gets ready to sell that house, you just don't have to worry about it. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he is here every weekend at this time taking your calls, questions about your home inside or out. You can always reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can email your questions to Ken's website, and that's kenthecontractor.com. There's also a whole lot of very valuable home improvement information available at the website. Coming up in just minutes on this edition of Ken the Contractor, about a half hour from now, our website of the week deals with information on solar-powered operable skylights. And also, one-on-one, Ken talks with somebody from Dow Building Solutions about their revitalized home project. That's coming up this hour right here on Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, uh, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also you can follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And coming up next, Ken answers your questions and your comments. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is here to answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time for us to go to the phones. Is Michael. Michael, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I had a question about radiant barriers in the attic. I had a, a contractor install a radiant barrier. Um, about uh, two months ago, and still kind of waiting to see and see how it trends as far as my efficiency and cost. Just wanted to get your your thoughts on it. It seems to be a great product, and uh, it, it appears to to help. But just just wanted you to give me a, a rundown of what you thought about radiant barriers, aluminum film product that they put in the attic. Michael, given my experience and as a professional, I think you've done the right thing. I highly recommend it to people that ask me about it. This foil-type barrier that you described to our audience really is technology that we could go back many decades and say comes out of the space program. And it does an outstanding job of reflecting the heat back through our roof shingles or roofing materials rather than allowing all that heat to continue to come into our attic space. Now, it does not condition the attic space, meaning it's not cold, but what it does is reduce the amount of heat buildup if you, that you have. That, in turn, means that you have reduced heat inside your living area so that your air conditioning unit does not have to work as hard. It's more efficient at that point, and you feel more comfortable. There may even be times of the year for you, since you're calling from the Greenville, South Carolina area, that you may not need air conditioning at all when you have traditionally needed it in the past, perhaps early in the spring, late in the fall. So I think you're going to find that as you watch the trends, that you see an energy savings, you're going to find a payback on this over a period of years. Highly recommend it. Glad you did it. Appreciate your call just to think about a little bit about what you have done. And it sounds like you needed a confirmation, but I'm right there with you. Support it for you and for anybody else that has the ability to do that in their home. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks a lot. All right, uh, let's go to an email question from Tom. Tom has an attic issue. He says, Ken, we have a one-and-a-half-story house that's 130 years old. We never had mold on the upstairs walls. Do we put in vents in the three gables? Now some of the plaster is coming down. What should we do first to get rid of the mold? And should we take the plaster off and put something else up, like paneling? said, there is a foot of insulation above the ceiling, but not much on the slant part to the walls. 
We don't live upstairs. Use it for storage. What's your recommendation? Tom, I think you probably have a condensation problem, not a leak problem. The fact that you have installed attic vents in general is a good thing because it's preventing that attic space from becoming exceedingly hot and working against your air conditioning, or frankly, if you don't have air conditioning, just making it warmer inside the second floor of that house, and it will shorten the life of the shingles, or if you've got a metal roof on this old house, then it will cause it to have to be painted more frequently. So the attic vents by themselves are good. Glad you did that. But the problem that may be created, especially since you identify that you have limited insulation, in the area between the primary roof and the slant of the second floor tells me you may have some ductwork or some pipes in those areas that condensation is being created on. That's causing moisture to accumulate in the plaster, the lath, causing it to crack, mold, and mildew to develop, and it will release. That may well be what you have. Now, if you don't have any metal in that area, you clearly have some condensation issue developing. The fact that you see mold and mildew tells me that because that cannot exist without moisture. So unfortunately, you or someone's going to need to get in the attic space, see what you got going on, see if you can track down ductwork, pipes, conduits, whatever. Even if they're old and abandoned and you're not using them today, could be old plumbing. The point is they're there and there's some amount of moisture that's being created that's causing this problem internally. I think if you track that down, you're going to find that you eliminate the problem. And if you have an opportunity to add insulation over that ductwork or over this framework, you're only going to do two things. One, resolve the problem. Two, increase your energy efficiency in the house. As far as the second part of the question goes, whether you should apply paneling over this or not, my approach to any repair is always to put back the material that was there. You can remove the plaster that has become loose, cracked, seems to be not bound firmly to the lath below that. Make a repair, repaint the area, and it'll look as good as new for many, many years to come. When you start putting Band-Aids on things, you fight that problem later on, or future homeowners do as well. And many times we're just not real happy with the way it looks. So that's my recommendation. We certainly appreciate you listening to us, Tom, on KDIO and 1350. We wish you luck with your project. Well, let's go back to the phones, and it's Vesta who joins us right now. Hi, Vesta. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. My problem is, is trying to find a leak in the roof. But we have a unique situation. There's not room to go in the attic and uh, see the back of the, the fireplace. Um, and I wanted to know, uh, once the soffit is in, if you can remove any of the panels or whether they are secure. First, for you, you have two options. One, they make mirrors. and We use these in construction to see things that are difficult to get to. But they make mirrors that come on an extension handle. And if you have opportunity to get in the attic space and get close, but say not get that last two or three feet, then my recommendation is you purchase one of these or borrow one and extend that mirror, shine the flashlight back in that area, and then you can examine the area around the chimney in these very tight situations. The main part of your question is, can you remove a soffit panel? It depends on the type. If you happen to have a vinyl soffit or an aluminum soffit, in most cases, as long as you can remove the trim that encases that without damaging it, you can pull the soffit panel out, put it back in, resecure the trim. In the meantime, that gives you an opportunity to examine the bottom of that roof deck and the area around that chimney and see where your leak may be coming from. If you happen to have a wooden soffit or a cement fiberboard 
or EFAS, something along those lines, it's going to be more difficult, but it's still possible, and you need to get to the bottom of this leak that you have. And my suggestion is you might want to bring a professional out that can work with one of these materials. They may need to cut simply an access hole that's properly sized so you can get a good view up there, and then install what would look like and should be a very professional access panel so that if you ever have to look at it again, you're not actually cutting through this material. They can install a panel over the top of it, trim it so that it looks nice and neat, and you can go on about your business from there. But whatever you do, solve the problem. Thank you, Vesta. Don't forget, you can also send your comments to our website, KenTheContractor.com, and Don's got one of those comments. Don's in Mishawaka, Indiana, listens to us on WTRC at 95.3 FM. And Don says, I was listening to your program recently about cleaning grout on ceramic tile. And he happens to have a home formula that he uses. And I want to share this with you. Understand how this would work based on the makeup in it. So this may be something that all of you can work with, with products you have in your basic kitchen, cabinet, or pantry. He said his method is to mix seven cups of water one-third cup lemon juice, and one-quarter cup white vinegar. Put the mix into a spray bottle, spray it on the tile and grout, let it stand for one to two minutes, and then scrub it. Well, Don, there are a lot of home remedies like this that will clean it, and basically you're creating uh, somewhat of an acidic solution, and that's partly why this works, to cut that grout. And that's how grout's cleaned in many cases off brick and concrete, tile, and other areas with commercial products that are primarily an acidic-based product. Anyway, this is a good home solution. It will work. Take a little bit of elbow grease. Works for Don. We appreciate you listening to us. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks, Don. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Braid, along with Ken Patterson. Each week, Ken is here answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. This also is the show where people come looking for professional answers. If you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Follow us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and on Twitter at Ken Answers. And, of course, you can always email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels. All to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Joining me now is Gary Parsons. Gary is a fellow in Dow Building Solutions Research and Development. As he tells me, a senior scientist, so he knows what he's talking about. Gary, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Glad to be here. Do you have a project that's called Revitalize Home? This is a retrofit residential construction, and I think when our listeners follow everything you have to say, they're going to be fascinated by this in ways that they can save energy for very little cost. Tell us what Dow is planning and what your research is revealing. Great. I'd love to do that. So this is actually a really neat little case study project that we've got in our in our corporate hometown of Midland, Michigan, which is where my office is. We found this home that uh, is about a 800, 900-square-foot home, one-story ranch home over a full basement, built around 1970 or so, that uh, has virtually had no energy improvements done on it since it was built. Original windows, R11 bad insulation in the walls, about six inches of rolled-out fiber insulation in the attic. No air sealing has ever been done to this house. You know, we chose to take this project on so we could demonstrate to people how easy it is to go do retrofits on homes and improve their air leakiness and improve their insulation performance. This house, we started, and our approach was to do kind of systematic approach where we could take products that are commercially available, used together, 
DIYers can do these these kinds of projects. Pros can do these kinds of projects. And we said we're gonna we're gonna tackle this thing by doing like a below grade system and an attic system and then a above grade wall system. Kind of like you know you don't have to do it all at once. You can kind of break things up and do these systems as pieces as you can afford to do. So it. like most of us on a budget, this is something you can put in a budget one year, next year, third year, whatever. But you're gonna save immediately. Absolutely. And, and we kind of took our approach and said we're gonna do our system based on how easy is it to access something. So this home is typical of a home that you might find that's of this age. Basement was concrete block units and little damp, cold, didn't smell really very good at all, not a very pleasant place to be. So we tackled that first because that's where the easiest access is. So we used polyisocyanurate insulation on the walls, which is our trade product is called Thermax. So it's a rigid board foam product that's available in, you know, in any number of, of building supply shops. And we adhered that using a product we call Great Stuff Wall and Floor Adhesive. So it's an easy DIY kind of approach where you can buy the boards. They're light. They're easy to, easy to cut. You can, you know, shape them around, plumbing penetrations. You adhere them up to the wall with foaming urethane adhesive and then uh, and you're done so like in a house of this size where it's you know 700 800 square feet below it's a job that you know a relatively competent diy type person can do this in a day it's it's that easy to do so then we followed that up using a, a two component spray foam a product we call froth pack which is you know kind of thermoset foam chemistry and we did the band joist area with that because it's really, really important to seal any air leaks in a band joist. And you get the additional benefit of getting some insulation value performance out of that as well. So then we went up into the attic. We knocked a couple of hundred CFM, cubic feet per minute of air leakiness out of the house just by sealing the downstairs off. And, and air leakage, you know, in addition to having good insulation, you got to have low air leakage to help save energy. So that's we, we tried to tackle both at once. We then went up into the attic because that's the next easiest place to go get access. And we pulled all the old insulation out, and we did an air sealing job around all the, the top plates of the exterior walls and the interior walls. So it's, you know, where you see the, the two-by-four kind of between the, uh, the backside of the drywall you got to get all those gaps sealed. We uh, built boxes out of the same Thermax insulation to go over our can lights and then air sealed those with froth pack. So we did all this work to try and make sure that we had all the gaps and cracks sealed, and then we blew a whole bunch of cellulose into that attic space. So that's what we did up in the attic. And I will tell you that this house had a leakiness factor of around 2,000 cubic feet per minute. Wow, that's substantial. Test. It was very, very leaky, very leaky. By doing the attic job, we dropped that leakiness in about half. So then after we did the attic, we went and, and tackled the walls. We worked with uh, Plygem as a provider of vinyl siding, and they sent the products in. We peeled the old siding off and applied an inch of styrofoam insulation all the way around the exterior of the house and then applied new vinyl siding onto this house. Now, one important point I want to make is one thing we didn't do is change the windows because a lot of folks... So the you have the original they, 1970s windows the, the original, in the home. The original windows are in the home. And I will tell you, this house, from a leakiness standpoint, started at 2000. After all the measures were done, we ended up at around 800. A huge reduction in air leaks. And, you know, why is that important, right? Well, you pay to condition this air that's in your building. The worst thing you could do is pay the money to condition it and then leak it out again. It, it's all about saving money, and air leakiness is, is really, really important in that regard. We, You know, a couple of key learnings, you know, we're able to show people that even with old windows, you can still manage to add foam insulation on the outside of the house and integrate things back together, and it looks awesome. And uh, this house, it's a lot more pleasant place to be in. You can go downstairs in the basement now. It feels dry, it feels warm, and it smells better. These are all just, you know, easy things that uh, that many DIYers can do. Certainly pros can do it, and the savings are, are fast and real. And none of the 
products you've identified as far as basement or attic or products that, again, most people can't handle. They don't need any special equipment. They don't need a lot of special knowledge about that. It's fairly lightweight. You don't need a, a forklift or a crane to be dealing with these things. And the other side of this, from my experience, a lot of folks may not know, but as a builder, these are relatively inexpensive items. That's exactly right. If, if you're only tackling air sealing and you don't even want to add insulation, you can go to the store and buy cans of the one-component polyurethane foams, like products like Great Stuff, and even go, you know, go totally crazy and, and get a pro gun to install them with because that makes it even easier. And you can do an air sealing job on your house pretty inexpensively over a few weekends worth of time, and it will pay dividends. Certainly something I recommend to all of you. So many of you call and write me about this. This is a very simple way to put money back in your checking account, back in your pocket every month. You put a small investment out up front. You take one area at a time, as Gary has talked about today. You work it into your budget over time, but you will immediately start seeing a payback. Now, Gary, for more information on everything we've been talking about today, where do folks go? Because I know there are going to be plenty that would like to see some follow-up on this and maybe a little more than we have time for. Yeah, a lot of the data that we collected around the Revitalize Home Project is on a site called www.revitalizehome.com. So a lot of the information that I've shared with you today is, is out there on the site. And, uh, you know, stay tuned for more data as we continue energy monitoring and, and, and learn more things about it. Well, I look forward to it. We'll be bringing more of this to each of you. You can also check out all the other Dow products at DowBuildingSolutions.com. There are more items than you probably want to be working with on any Saturday, but there's a solution to every problem you have around your home. Gary Parsons, we appreciate you being with us today. We thank you for all the research and the input the Dow is providing to the industry and to the consumer. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Ken. Thank you. It's absolutely amazing what we can do around our house to conserve energy that costs almost next to nothing. And you recall from time to time I talk to you about checking periodically, at least once a year, the caulking around your doors, the trim on the outside, your windows, to be sure that if you had a penetration around uh, maybe a new line that was put in, a telephone line, a cable line, that that's sealed. And you're saying... That can't have a whole lot of effect on it. It's just a very small hole. Folks, you take a number of small holes, and eventually you've got a large area, uh, the equivalent, where you have not only the house leaking that warm or cold air out, but you also have that outside air coming in and the potential for critters to get in. So what Gary has just talked about is something that's not going to break anybody's bank, but it is, and it's also something that almost every one of us can do some part on our own. If you're looking to build out your basement, that might be different. But when it comes to caulking and plugging holes, it's a matter of looking and paying attention. And can't say that this often, but I know 100% of you listening are all trying to save money on your energy costs. We've got to take a break. We'll come back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to help you out with that project you're trying to deal with this weekend or that little nasty, annoying problem that you just can't seem to get done right around the house. Ken is here, and you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or send your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. That's where we're going right now. We're heading to Anderson, South Carolina, and Jill has got one of those problems, Ken. It wasn't her fault, but she's got to clean it up. Yeah, it's not her fault, but now she has a problem. And, Jill, we appreciate you listening to us on WRIX 103.1 in Anderson. And here's what you're telling us. It says, first you're saying that we had a load of mulch delivered this week for our planters and beds, and said that really is all the good news. The bad news is the dump truck drove over the edge of the drive and broke a section of concrete out that's about two feet long and comes in about a foot. Do I have to tear out the entire section to have this hole repaired, 
or is there a simple solution that will look good? Now, that's your key, that will look good. said, I really don't want to deal with the broken concrete and jagged edges. I don't want to have those left there. And you go on to tell me that you're really puzzled and upset and you need some direction all at the same time. I understand. These are one of the things that sometimes it's sort of an unintended consequence. I, I think all of us have probably dealt with Jill around our house that your your spirits are up, you're enthusiastic, you're taking on a home project, you're ready to go with it, and all of a sudden something goes wrong when you're trying to do the right thing. First, I want to say, you've seen this now, but I want to say to all of our listeners that most concrete drives, I can tell you, around the house, probably 9.9 out of 10 are not designed to carry heavy traffic load, especially on the edges. They're not reinforced like we would reinforce a commercial drive that might be at an office building or a warehouse or something along those lines. The majority of the drives will take a U-Haul type load, uh, perhaps even a single axle dump truck with mulch on the back or a small quantity of dirt if it's in the center of the drive, but not even all of those. So what I've always told people about, and I'm going to come back to your your repair, Jill, but I just want to be sure others understand this. If you've got any type of a heavy load being delivered on site, let the truck, if it's mulch, if it's topsoil, let them pull up in a grass area and offload there. Do not let them come in the driveway because you're going to be where Jill is in many cases. And I know a lot of you are sitting there saying, yeah, I'm already there. I just wondered what to do with it. Jill, to go back to your question, in terms of the damage that you have, I would not take an entire section out unless you're just saying, I don't have any cracks and I can't stand cracks and it really bothers me. That isn't typically the case. And you're going to spend a lot of money to tear it out and replace it. What you need to do, and if you're not skilled or someone around your house is not skilled to do this yourself, is to hire a concrete contractor that will come in and they should saw cut this area so that you have a nice, clean, straight edge. And if it happens to be near an expansion or control joint, you want to take it a little further and you want to go to that natural break, the design break in that concrete, and cut out this area. And you want to be certain that the grade below it is properly compacted, which may have had something to do with this failing with the load of the dump truck on it. Maybe the soil had settled a little bit under this. So you want to be sure that it's properly compacted. And then they're going to want to drill and dowel into the edges. They'll end up with some reinforcing steel that actually goes back into the existing concrete. And then they will be using various concrete uh, additives, or not additives, but adhesives that will help it bond to that area. And then they're going to place this concrete. Now, what you're going to find when they put it in, whether you're using sacrete or whether they're ordering it from a ready-mix company, is the color is not going to look the same, at least in the short run, and it may not in the long run. This is where I said your question earlier about and have it look right will be very important. You may find that it cures out to be a similar gray, a little darker, a little lighter. But what you will find, if you can tolerate that, is that over time, with just normal air pollution, cutting the grass, airborne dirt, those type things, that it's going to fade and blend in with the balance of the concrete. And it should perform well because it's now in compacted soil and it has been doweled into the existing concrete. It's not just sitting there free-floating. Jill, sorry you had the problem. It's a long answer to a short question, but there is a solution, something less than taking out the entire concrete section. Well, let me ask, why not have the, the guys with the trucks pay for their, any uh, repairs? You know, she can give that a shot, but the chances are pretty good. In my experience, that's not going to take place. Once they leave the road and you invite them into your property, you mm-hmm. tell them where to drop that load, you typically are responsible in most states, and you have to accept that. That's the reason I cautioned everybody up front, have these trucks drop the product, the mulch or the soil, in a sandy area adjacent to where you want it. If they can access it, 
you're going to have to move it. It's just that simple. You're going to have to take the wheelbarrow. You're going to have to do it yourself anyway. Why have them have the opportunity of damaging your driveway or crossing sidewalks? Yeah, and it's a lot easier sometimes to repair lawn or grass than it is concrete. Oh, much much more so, absolutely, and a lot less money. All right. Time now for our website of the week. We have one that I think a lot of you that send me emails are going to be somewhat interested in here, and that is uh, a solar-powered operable skylight. Yeah, and that's exactly what I said. I know a lot of you are saying, well, you've got to get on the ladder. You've got to act to, in order to raise this up. Then you've got to worry about rain and close it. You don't want to put one in that you have to have power to it. So you're doing the manual operation. Well, today you can find a new one created by Velux. Now, Velux, V-E-L-U-X-X, is a well-known name in the skylight business. But they've got a fresh air solar-powered skylight that opens and closes by remote control. The system requires no wiring, which ensures easy installation. And the solar panel incorporates a rain sensor for automatic closing. That's pretty neat. So if it's raining, you don't have to be home if you left this open to ventilate the inside of the house. With the sensor on this, it will automatically close. No batteries. There's no electrical wiring to it. And it works on cloudy days and in indirect sunlight. So that answers the question a few of you are fixing to send me emails on. Now, the product is also eligible to make this a plus for a 30% federal tax credit under this year's federal tax guidelines. You want to go to this website, VLUX.com. That's V-E-L-U-X.com. And if you can't remember that, you'll find all these links I talk about on my website, KenTheContractor.com. All right, before we do have to take a break, let's see if we can help Grayson out in Topeka, Kansas. He's got a problem in his garage. Yeah, Grayson's issue is with a wall fan. Now, I'm going to paraphrase his lengthy email to me, and he says basically he's got a fan that's about 16 years old. It's a wall exhaust fan. The, the garage is used as a hobby area. But you're also telling me that last year towards the end of the season that the fan simply quit working. You couldn't tell if it was the fan, if it was the motor, if it was a pulley. How do you go about this? And you're asking me, do I need a whole new fan or do I need a pulley or a motor? Well, what I want to tell you to do is pull the belt off that because you have told me that it's a belt-driven fan. And a lot of you will have direct drive fans, meaning the motor's attached to the blade. But in this case, you've got one that is belt-driven. Take the belt off that. See then if you can turn the blade by hand. And if you can, that tells you that you don't have a bearing issue with the fan proper. Now, the other component to that is going to be the, the belt itself. And if that belt is so worn, if it's frayed that it's just slipping, you should have been able to hear that motor running before you just shut the thing off last year and said, I give up on this. I'll deal with it next year. And I'm assuming that was not the case. You don't describe that to me. But when it comes to the fan motor proper, then you should be able to turn that fan on, power it up, and see whether that fan operates. If the fan motor itself operates, since it's isolated from the blade, then you may want to look at any other sets of bearings. There could be multiple pullings. I've seen some of these to see if there's an issue there. But if that fan just sits there and continues to hum, or the motor does rather, then that tells you you've got a pretty good shot. You've got a bad motor. I'd be taking that motor out, take it down to one of my local uh, electric motor sh- uh, shops and see if they can determine the problem, new brushes, rebuild it before I'd go spend the money for a new one. So you do have options if you're capable of handling this on your own. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor, the program that answers the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or through our website, KenTheContractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor.